Good morning once again to you all. Over the last month as a church, if you've been with us, we've been walking through one chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we have seen so far how the resurrection of Jesus sends what we've called shockwaves out in all directions, over all of human history, over all eternity, and literally over every body. Our God in Christ has overthrown the curse of death because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. All of this world and all of hell and all of heaven exist under the dominion of Jesus Christ. So we have certainty because of this, certainty in life, and certainty in death, because as we say every week, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will what? Come again. We have certainty because of this. And Paul has spent so far the whole first half of this chapter laying the groundwork of that certainty for believers in Christ. And he's saying this in essence, don't take my word for it. Don't take Paul's word for it. If it's just man's word, if it's just Paul's word, then it's useless. Take God's word for it. Take the empty tomb's word for it. The ground of our certainty as believers is not laid in man's word or in Paul's word or in my word. The ground of our certainty is laid in God's word and in the empty tomb. So here's a summary of chapter 15 so far. Jesus really did die, Jesus really did rise, and Jesus did really appear. So this is really good news because it's really true. If it wasn't true, verse 19 told us, then all Christians are, of all people, most to be pitied. But in fact, Jesus is death's conqueror, Jesus is death's reverser, and last week we saw how much Jesus longs to wake us up out of what Paul called our drunken stupor to wake us up, to come alive in the light of the resurrection by the power of the same resurrection spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so now we shift to the last half of the chapter today. And if you turn there with me, looking today at verses 35 through 41, you'll see that with that groundwork laid of certainty, about the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ, we can consider now even more the certainty about the resurrection of our body too. If you're looking at this chapter in front of you, you'll see that our editors have added a little heading to this section, the resurrection body. And that's what we'll be considering this week and next week, the resurrection body. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Because when it comes to our resurrection body, all of us are often tempted to get ahead of ourselves and focus on what our bodies will be like then in heaven or to focus on what, it, what our bodies will be like there at the resurrection. And it's wonderful and it's good and helpful in the light of the resurrection to consider what our bodies will be like then and there in heaven. But before we do that, so we don't get ahead of ourselves, the Bible first tells us 
in light of the resurrection about our bodies here and now. Our resurrection bodies here and now. So fill in the blank for me here if you know this. You probably do. From uh, John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word, Jesus, the Bible says existing from before all time, became literal human flesh. Not pretend flesh, not halfway flesh, not flesh-like flesh. The word Jesus became actual flesh, and Jesus became actual flesh, veiled in flesh to redeem flesh. So next week, the resurrection body then and there. This week, we have to make sure we understand the amazing implications of the resurrection on our bodies here and now. So the Apostle Paul, writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes in such a way that insists we consider things in this order. So first, he anticipates the question about our bodies then and there in heaven in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And then he proceeds to address first our body now on earth. This is our first point. Your body now is a seed planted by God. Verse 36, Paul writes, you foolish person. He's meaning, isn't it obvious to you? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So your body right now is the seed of what your body will one day be. There is continuity between your current body and your resurrection body. Just like there's continuity between the seed of a flower and a a full-grown flower, or the seed of an oak tree, and hundreds of years later, a, a giant oak tree. There's tremendous differences between the seed and the final product of what comes to life, but also tremendous continuity. And because we understand this principle, we can marvel at the seed. We can marvel at how God uses the seed. The seed is small and limited and fragile and frail, but the seed has to be planted in the earth. It has to die in order for it to come alive. We, we understand this. And this is how the power of the resurrection impacts our bodies here and now. Because it says that these bodies that we have are not just shells to be discarded. These bodies that we have are seeds that will die and will be buried, and then these bodies will be raised to life. So scripture teaches, your body now is a seed planted by God. First place it's planted is in your mother's womb. Psalm 139, verse 13, David prays to God, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So your body's first planted in your mother's womb, but the next place it's planted by God is in the earth. Now, this does beg the question, I think, if this is what happens to our bodies, what about our souls? 
and there isn't much time for me to go very deep into this. There are entire theological volumes and shelves and seminary libraries about this topic. But I do want to briefly address what I believe the Bible teaches about this for the believer in Christ, about our bodies and our souls upon our death. What happens? I'm going to lean very hard here for the next couple of minutes on a wonderful book by Randy Alcorn. I recommend it. It's called Heaven. But let me just say three things about all this, that body and soul upon our death. First, there will be a time upon our death when we are absent from the body. The imagery that the Bible uses here often of what happens to our bodies upon their death is one of sleep. There's many examples of this. I think of 1 Thessalonians 4.13, for example. Our bodies fall asleep. They are laid within the earth for hundreds or for thousands of years. Number two, while our body sleeps, our soul does not. Our soul remains conscious. Why do I say this? There are many, many, many reasons. Let me just focus on a few. Because of Ecclesiastes 12.7 says this, the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Because of the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16 in which the rich man and Lazarus, uh, both people are immediately conscious in God's presence and out of God's presence. They're not asleep. Because of what Jesus said to the thief on the cross, you'll remember this, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise, not 600 years from now. Because what we heard in our study of Philippians a few months ago, in Philippians 1.21, Paul says to depart, to die, is to be with Christ, and it's far better. Paul also says elsewhere, a different letter, 2 Corinthians 5.8, quote, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And because of what the Apostle John shares in Revelation 6, there's martyrs who after their death are conscious of what's happening on earth and they're crying out to God about it, to execute justice on earth. Their souls are not asleep. Now when we die, number three here, we are without our bodies for a time. It seems likely we're given temporary bodies. It's interesting to me. The martyrs in Revelation wear robes. I can testify it's hard to wear a robe without a body. The Apostle John, again in Revelation, holds things and tastes things. When Stephen sees Jesus in Acts 7, Jesus is actually standing on an actual something, not floating. Stephen could have said, I see Jesus floating. Says he's standing. So there's a physical realm to heaven right now. Think of the transfiguration. Standing alongside Elijah is Moses. Moses' body had been buried. But at least in that moment, God had given Moses a temporary body. So back to our body now. Our body falls asleep one day, laid in the earth. The seed is laid in the earth. But our soul is not separated from God, even for a moment. Romans 8, 28, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even death. So our soul isn't even separated for a moment. We're likely given a temporary body since heaven is a physical realm. And then we heard a few weeks ago, then comes the end, the final resurrection when we receive our resurrection bodies. And we will live in that body of which your current body is right now the seed. It's amazing. We'll live in that body forever. You may have heard the one about the elderly man 
who uh, wrote a letter to his great-grandchildren sharing about what he's experiencing physically in his old age. He wrote them, I'm getting so old, I've lost all my hair, I'm deaf in both ears, blind in both eyes, and I've lost all my teeth. My arms aren't as strong as they used to be, and it's hard for me to use my hands for much of anything anymore. My bones are weak, and I can't use my legs. My knees won't bend, and I can't feel my feet. My balance is all off, and I don't know where I am most of the time. My heart is given out. My organs are failing. I'm getting so old, I'm practically half dead, but I'm looking on the bright side. At least I still have my Florida driver's license. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> Amen. For those who are in Christ, you can look on the bright side. Okay, you can look on the bright side. Because of the resurrection, you can know that your body now is a seed planted by God. From your conception all the way through to your birth and throughout your life, your body, though it's frail and weak and mortal and starts to crack and pop and break in places you didn't even know existed, it has continuity with what it will be at the resurrection. Second, your body now is a body chosen by God. Verses 38 and 39. But God gives it, that is the seed, God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. God has given you, scripture clearly teaches this. It's right here in verse 38. God has given you, quote, a body as he has chosen. Your body and your gender and your shape and your fingerprints and like me, your head full of hair. Why are you laughing? Is beautiful, wonderful, sacred, and unique because God gave it to you. And your flesh... And its color, maybe its lightness, maybe its darkness, is beautiful, wonderful, sacred, and unique because God gave it to you. Your body and your flesh are not accidental. These things are by design, by a designer who chooses what kind of seed you will be and chooses what kind of body you will have. This is an undeniable implication of creation. You are a created being with a created body formed by the hands of a creator. And therefore, and this is important, then there is an undeniable implication of the resurrection upon created human beings. Your body now is a body chosen by God. Therefore, your body now has continuity with your body in heaven. So this is a theology of the body that God gives to us by way of creation and by way of resurrection. And keep tracking with me for a minute here, if you can. I don't want to lose you. We can then reverse engineer 
our resurrected bodies to understand more fully God's intention for our earthly bodies. And here's what I mean. For the believer, fast forward to heaven. You'll have a resurrected body. It will be a perfect body, free from all effects of sin, free from effects of death and the fall, a body made new. But that resurrected body will have continuity with your earthly body right now. So let me get specific here. In heaven, you will still be you. You will have the skin color God gave you. And you will have the gender that God gave you. The resurrection of the body, of our actual bodies, has a reverse echo on our bodies now. They have dignity. They have value. They have worth. They are not accidental. Now, some of you may struggle with this. And I can't imagine how hard that is. Some of you know people very close to you who struggle with this. There are many, many we know who struggle greatly with their earthly bodies. They may live their whole lives feeling trapped in them, limited by them, feeling not at home in them, racked with addictions that they cannot seem to break out from within them, sometimes feeling like harming them. And there are many who not only struggle with their gender, but wonder if it was a mistake. And if that's you or someone close to you, what this church has to offer you is not condemnation or shame or judgment. What we offer you is the same thing God has offered us, and it's hope in Christ, hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and hope of our resurrection in Jesus Christ. So hold on to that hope. Put your trust in Christ. This is our church's response to the issue of gender confusion. Hold on to the hope of the resurrection. Hold on to the promise of Christ, of the body you will have at the resurrection because it speaks to the body you have right now. Imagine your resurrected self. Imagine your resurrected body speaking to you right now, calling from across the ages, and it's saying, hold on to this hope. One day you will be free from feeling trapped. One day you will be free from the addictions. One day you will be free from the struggle. Don't give in to the struggle. Throw yourself upon Jesus. Hold on to the certain hope of the resurrection that he gives you. But when, when, not if, but when you can't hold on to that promise, when you can't hold on to Jesus, and for those who have perhaps given in to the struggle, hear the good news of the gospel, which says that since none of us, not a single one of us can hold on firmly enough, he holds on to us. Whatever your struggle, inside your body, outside your body, with your body, and that's all of us in this room today, all of us struggle with our body, and if anybody in here thinks they don't, the truth is not in you and you deceive yourself. 
All of us struggle with our bodies. All of us. And the good news is not that we can hold on strong enough to Jesus, is that he always holds on to us. There's a song we sing sometimes. It says this, those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. No matter what you've done, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul or my body, because of the resurrection, be lost. His promises will last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For those who are in Christ, we will be set free from our suffering in these bodies one day. This is the promise of the resurrection. It's a promise for your body here and now. It's a body chosen by God, clothed in flesh by God, one day resurrected by God. Now, our last two verses, 40 through 41, also speak to our bodies here and now. Paul tells us this, your body now has a glory given by God. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So here's another amazing implication of the resurrection for you. Your body has a glory given by God. It's quite a different glory from a heavenly body. And what Paul means there is, is bodies in space, like the moon and like planets. Your body has a different glory from those heavenly bodies, but this does not mean that your body has less glory. He doesn't say that. Different glory. Now, some of you are thinking, I know this. My body, Jamie, may be lots of things, but glorious is not one of them. <laughs> Our bodies get tired. They get old. They die. But these mortal bodies were made in the image of God, and the planets weren't. The stars weren't. The moon wasn't. Only one aspect of God's whole creation was made in the image of God, and it's you and me, men and women. Therefore, our bodies have been given a glory by God, and our bodies were of such value to God that he sent his son to redeem them from the curse. God the Father did not send his son into the world as a soul to only redeem souls. God sent his son into the world in the form of a human body to also redeem bodies. There's an old theological phrase that's simple but profound, and it's this. Matter matters. Matter matters. Your body matters. The old Heidelberg Confession written during the Protestant Reformation begins with this question. What is your only comfort in life and death. And then the answer is this, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Body and soul. Matter matters. And that's because the real Jesus died, the real Jesus rose, and still veiled in human flesh, ascended to his Father's right hand. Jesus upon his resurrection, didn't leave aside his human flesh. He didn't say, whew, 
I can finally get rid of that disgusting human flesh that I've been trapped in for 34 years. No, Jesus retained his human flesh upon his ascension into heaven. So there is at this very moment, literal human flesh on the physical Jesus seated on an actual throne at the father's right hand. So the human body, your body is of such value that it forever remains represented on heaven's throne. Your body will certainly have a different glory one day in heaven. I know I'm looking forward to that about you. I'll be able to be good at sports one day. It's going to be great. I'll be able to build things and fix things with my hands. And I'll tell you what, it's going to take the power of the resurrection to make that happen. (laughs) Our bodies in heaven will have a different glory, yes, but don't get ahead of yourself. Your body also has a glory given to it by God right now. And the kind of glory that your body has is a reflected glory of the glory of Jesus. The word made flesh. Fill in the blank with me one more time. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So your body, as limited and as weak and as mortal as it is, has been given right now a reflected glory. A glory that comes from and a glory that points to the one who came and showed us his glory in the frailness of flesh. That's how Jesus showed us his glory. (laughs) In frailness, in humility, in weakness, and in his death on the cross. That's how he showed us his glory. In his body. And your body reflects that glory. As I close now, I'd like for you to hear these last words I'm going to say as personally and as individually applicable to your physical body as possible. Jesus felt and Jesus bore your bodily limitations and weakness and mortality and he carried them to the cross and grave. And now, because of the resurrection, Your limitations and your weakness and your mortality do not lead to death. They lead you to glory. Your body, here and now, the seed that it is, the body that he made it to be, with the glory that he gave it, is bound for resurrection. So that means your body, right now, here and now, serves you as a living and a dying Reminder of that certain hope, which was secured for you in Christ. You and I are embodied souls living at all times inside of embodied reminders of the resurrection. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we ask that you would help us as we live in this fallen world right now and in these fallen bodies. Help us, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that right now you would shine the light of your gospel 
shine the light of your resurrection upon us. By your spirit, Lord, would you work your word into us, into our minds, and into our bodies here and now as we wait for what is to come. Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.